That was really nice. I appreciate that. Um, but what they didn't tell you, and I just found out between services, is that you're supposed to wear pants when you're preaching. <laughs> Nobody thought, hey, we should tell Mark, don't wear shorts. Um, so he says all those nice things, but hazes me a little bit by having me wear shorts. Um, but I'm just kidding. Um, so last week, Josh opened us up in this series, and he talked about how Israel wanted to have a king like the other nations. And we're gonna continue this series, and today we're gonna be in 1 Samuel chapter 9 and 10. And so if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there now. Um, so nearly 40 years ago, there was a man who is one of the most influential people in the United States. He was a preacher, he was a faith healer, and he was a civil rights activist. He ran an organization to feed the hungry, to clothe the needy, and tried to raise up people who had been left out by society. He also fought against segregation. He was the first church in Indiana to have a desegregated church. He also fought for women's rights. He fought for them to be able to work, and he also fought for them to not be sexually harassed while they were at work. Um, he wanted everyone treated the same where race, money, status didn't matter. The only thing that mattered was human dignity. But what captivated most people was his mission. He preached to his follower, followers that if they would just live his way, the rest of the world would be so overwhelmed by the goodness of what they were doing, they would ultimately wanna just fall in line and follow them. They were never going to try to overthrow a government or a nation by revolt or violence. They intended to do it by an example. Essentially, his mission was to bring utopia to earth where we would all live in harmony with one another and we would live in harmony with nature. And at the peak of his influence, he had thousands of people who were following him. Does anybody know who I'm talking about? Who is this guy? Any guesses? Jim Jones, let's go. You know you're over 40 because everybody <laughs> under 40 does not know who that is. Jim Jones, <laughs> he, if you don't know who he is, he's the guy who convinced over 900 people to commit mass suicide by drinking poison Kool-Aid. Yes, I'm glad you remember him. So, yeah. So when you think about this, you're like, how in the world did he convince that many people? And why would that many people be willing to commit suicide? The simple answer is because they trusted him. Sometimes we follow leaders who are very charismatic, but they can lead, but they can lead us astray to some dark and dangerous places. So today we wanna ask, who, how do we know who to be led by, and who should we follow? Because right now, we're in a society where we don't know who to trust. And rightfully so. I mean, look at Jim Jones and look at people like that. It feels like every week you're hearing about a scandal and how a leader used his power to abuse it. And we have thousands of people on their platform saying, follow me, I know the truth, follow my way, I will give you life. And then we're also in a society where our institutions are just crumbling because nobody trusts them. And it doesn't feel like there's any institution, including the church, that hasn't been hit by this distrust. So the questions are, 
who should we follow? And how do we know who to be led by? Let's jump in to 1 Samuel 9, verses one and two. There was a man of Benjamin, whose name was Kish, the son of Abel, the son of Zor, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphiah, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So we often choose charisma over character with our leaders. And Israel chooses charisma over character with their leader. So the first thing that we see about their soon-to-be king, Saul, is that he is handsome. I mean, he's better looking than anybody in Israel. I mean, that's a high praise to be the best looking person in your nation. But also he's tall, right? So you guys laugh. It's not me. I'm barely taller than this podium right now. Um, <laughs> but he's tall. He says he's head and shoulders taller than everybody there. And when I read this, and I was thinking about how handsome and tall he was, I thought of Ricky Fister. If you guys don't know him, you're missing out. He's, he's a good looking dude. But also we're clued in that he comes from wealth. Like his dad has money. And so Saul is extremely good looking. He's tall, he's rich, he's the perfect candidate for The Bachelor. And if you want a leader, if you want a king, this is the type of king you want. This is the type of king Israel wanted. They wanted a king with charisma like all the other nations. So Saul had charisma, but does he have character? And as you read on in chapter nine, you find out that he doesn't. And so his dad loses his donkeys. And he's like, Saul, go get your Louisa on and go find my donkeys. And as he's going out to find the donkeys, we find out three things about his character. The first thing is he's a bad shepherd. He goes out and he can't find the donkeys anywhere. I mean, he's walking for miles and miles and miles, over 20 miles to find these donkeys and he cannot find them. And the author is cluing us in because if you know donkeys, they're not that smart and they're big. So they're kind of cluing us in like, he's clueless. He's a bad shepherd, which is really interesting because all of Israel's patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses are all depicted as good shepherds. So we're seeing right off the bat that he has some inability to lead. But the second thing that we notice is that he doesn't seem to know God's ways. His servant tells him, hey, we should go ask Samuel, the man of God, the prophet for help. But Saul goes, but we don't have anything to pay him with. And anybody at that time would have known a good man of God, Samuel would have never asked for payment to help somebody. So we get this clue of like, wow, Saul, he doesn't know God's ways. And then the third thing that we see about him is he has spiritual deficiency. Saul goes for three days looking for these donkeys and not one time does he go to God and ask for help. He goes hunting and hunting, cannot find them. And it's not until his servant goes, hey, maybe we should ask God 
this all goes, yeah, I think that's a good idea. So when we look at Saul, the things that we notice is he's clueless. He's a bad shepherd. He doesn't know the ways of God. And he has spiritual deficiency where he will not rely on God. So when looking for a king, Israel does not care about the king's character, but about his charisma. They would rather have charisma over character. And you wonder why 900 people would trust a guy like Jim Jones and commit mass suicide? It's because of his charisma. He was able to captivate these people by his vision and his mission and was able to do it in a charismatic way. He was able to speak eloquently. He had the right clothes on. He was able to tug at their heartstrings and they loved it. All the while they would dismiss his character flaws. When he would cheat on his wife with other members' wives, they wouldn't say anything about it. When he would physically abuse the members of his church, they would dismiss it. When he would lie and get caught in lie after lie after lie, they would let it go. They would do it because they looked at his charisma and they were blinded to his character. And you may be thinking, yeah, but that's not me. I'm not about to start following a cult leader, which I really hope you don't start doing that. But the reason why we have the phrase, don't drink the Kool-Aid, is because we're all prone to it. It's the human condition to see what we want to see in somebody and ignore their sin. And we as the church, we fall into this too. For example, look at the talking heads of news media. We will listen to them as they bash and ridicule people and they will lie, blatantly lie, never apologize for it. And we'll keep listening to them because we go, they're funny. They're on our side or the social media influencer or the podcaster where they present themselves as wealthy and they got it together and they have the wisdom and they have the life hacks. And if you just do what they say and live how they live, your life is gonna be better, but you pull the curtain behind and their life is a mess. Or we have the politician who says, I'm the outsider. This is the politician who says, I didn't grow up in politics. I'm outside of this. I'm a business owner. I'm a teacher. I'm a philanthropist. I haven't been corrupted by politics. And we get excited about this. But then yet we look at their life and their life is exactly like every other politician. And we get caught up in caring more about people's charisma than we do about people's character. So my question for you is, who do you wanna be led by? Do you wanna be led by the winsome person or the attractive person or the abrasive person or the funny person or the wealthy person? Who do you wanna be led by? In our moment right now, I feel like it's easy for us to look at bad leaders and point them out. But what's harder is to flip this question on ourselves and go, what kind of leader do you wanna be? Because all of us have spheres of influence. You may not think so, but you do. So what type of leader do you wanna be? Do you wanna be the winsome one? Do you wanna be the attractive one? Do you wanna be the abrasive one? Do you wanna be the funny one or do you wanna be the wealthy one? What type of leader do you wanna become? What kind of dad do you wanna be? What kind of mom do you wanna be? What kind of husband and wife 
an employer, an employee, and friend do you want to be? What kind of boyfriend do you want to be? What kind of girlfriend do you want to be? Because the reality is the people that, that shape who we are going to become and our character are the people that we follow. So do you care more about charisma than character? Because God cares about character. God cares that you follow people with good character and God cares about your character. God cares that your character reflects the character of Jesus. And when we follow Jesus, the more we become like Jesus. But if we don't wanna follow Jesus, one of the harshest punishment God can give us is to say, have it your way and give us the leader that we want. And we see that in chapter nine, verse 15 and 17, as Saul goes to find Samuel for help. Now, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people, Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. Exodus. I lost where I was. For I, when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here's the man whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Sometimes God lets you have it your way and God let Israel have it their way. It's like, it's like Burger King up in here. They're like, you can have it your way. You can have it your way. They wanted a king to be like the other nations. So God gives them that. God reveals to Samuel that it is Saul that he has chosen to be king over his people. This shows us that God is fully bought in. He's fully bought in to making Saul a being the king over Israel and giving Israel what they want. He's in the muck, his hands are dirty, he's in this, he's not backing out, but he's fully bought in to doing that and he's entering in it with them. But because they are in rebellion to God, he's going to use Saul to punish them. And we see this when he says that Saul is going to restrain his people. If you let me geek out for a second, that word restrain, it means to withhold or to imprison. So what they're getting at is that Saul is going to be this type of barrier between God and Israel. He's gonna be a barrier between Israel and the full blessing of God. And what's, and then by, and by them choosing a king over God, they are now going to experience more turmoil and Israel will be restrained. They'll be withheld. They'll be imprisoned from the full blessing of God. So Saul will become this instrument from God to discipline his people. But this is what's scandalous. God is also going to use Saul to bless them to save them. Now I get why God would wanna discipline them and punish them as a dad, you get it. But to save them, they've rejected him, but he's still going to save them and bless them. 
because God will not relinquish his claim on Israel. He's not going to give them a king and bounce. He won't do this because they are his people. And we hear him say this phrase, my people four times, because they are his people. They're not fully Saul's. He is never going to relinquish his claim on his people. But Israel is persistent in having it their way. So God gives it to them. And sometimes God lets us have it our way when we're in rebellion. And so I have a three-year-old daughter and she's sitting right there and she has no idea what I'm about to say. (laughs) But three-year-olds, they are in this season of rebellion. And I, I love her. She's amazing. Like, I, I adore her so much. So I'm not here to bash her, but she's just a great example of this. <laughs> so we have a pool, and she would, like, run around the pool, run around the pool. And I would tell her, Lola, stop running around the pool. And I was like, if you, if you run, you're going to trip. You're going to hit your head. You're going to fall in the pool. You're going to drown, and you're going to die. Don't do this. And she would keep running. And I'd be like, Lola, stop running. And you know what she would do? She would run and then she would stop, turn back at me and say, see dad, I didn't get hurt. And I'd be like, oh girl. But she was right. Like she didn't get hurt. And so I was like, okay, have it your way. Run around. And then there was one day She has a popsicle in her mouth. Yep. She's running. She takes the corner. She starts running, falls, hits her chin on the concrete, bites through her tongue, and blood just gushes everywhere. And I freak out. I'm like, I knew she was going to die. And so I go up, and I'm trying to, like, grab her, make sure she's okay. She's screaming. There's blood everywhere. It's a huge mess. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, I told you so. Like, why didn't you just listen to me? But the reality was, like, she thought she knew better than me. And she had to learn the hard way that maybe I should listen to my dad once in a while. And there's a lot of times that we want to have it our way because we think we know better than God. So where do you want to have it your way because you think you know better than God? Where do you want to be like Israel and reject God's ways so that you could be like the rest of the world? What area of the world is leading you? Is it your money? Are you so afraid about what's going to happen and want to hoard all of your money that's preventing you from being generous, even though we see in Scripture that God says money is the root of all evil? Is it your self-medication that's leading you? Where you're doing everything you can to numb the pain by drinking and drugs or entertainment or constantly being on your phone or porn because you don't wanna go to Jesus because the healing process with him might just take a little bit longer? Or is it your sexual desires that are leading you? Are you willing to ruin your marriage just because you wanna sleep with somebody else? Are you willing to ruin, to cripple your relationship because you want to have sex before marriage? 
even though God has given us this picture of marriage and how good it is in his design, we do this stuff because ultimately we're selfish and we wanna have it our way. So man, do you really want God to give you over to your way? When your way will end up being restrained and imprisoned in your sin. Especially, especially when God is inviting you to live his way. His way where you will find life and love and purpose and forgiveness and happiness. God is inviting you to live his way. Do you hear his call? Do you hear him drawing you in? calling you out of your imprisonment of your sin and wanting to lead you into life. Can we learn from Israel? Because that's not what they did. They were dead set on having a king. So Samuel anoints Saul as king and calls all of Israel together so that Saul can be declared as king. So now Saul will be their king and he will have to bear that weight. But how in the world is Saul going to bear the weight that only God can bear? If you want, you could pick up with me in chapter 10, verse 20 and 24. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And the people shouted, long live the king. No leader can carry the weight of God. Saul can't carry the weight of God. And so Samuel brings all of Israel together and they cast lots, they like roll dice to find out who's gonna be king. And sure enough, it lands on Saul. But when they go to find Saul, they can't find him. Their king is hiding behind the baggage because he's terrified. He fills the weight and he cowers behind the baggage so that nobody can find him until God points him out and is like, I see you, you're back there. And what this makes me think of is Adam and Eve in the garden when they ate the forbidden fruit. What did they do? They went and they hid because they heard the voice of God calling them and it terrified them. They knew that the responsibility that was about to be put on them, they couldn't bear it. And Saul can't bear it. And so they hide in fear. But regardless, that weight gets put on them. That responsibility gets put on them. And so we see the Israelites go, they see him, they take him and they make him king and then they cheer. And this just felt like a demonic cheer to me. 
as I was reading it. They're yelling out in excitement that the fact that they dethroned God and now they get to have a king like the other nations. And now the weight that God should be carrying for Israel is on the shoulders of Saul. And spoiler alert, he can't carry that weight. No leader can, no elected official can, nobody can. And it reminds me of this student um, at ASU who believed he needed to carry the weight of God. So I do campus evangelism at ASU as well. And we were going around and we were asking people, hey, would you draw out your worldview? And so this one guy, he draws out this picture right here. So you could see, I mean, he's carrying the weight of the world and he's struggling. Like even his facial expressions are struggling. And if you look close, he's sweating. And the world has the landmass of friends and family and the needy. And then in the ocean, it says, my success. And so we were like, dude, this is fascinating. Like, tell us about it. What does it mean? And he was like, well, it feels like all of my financial and career success is what my friends and family and the needy are dependent on. And if they ever wanna have happiness, I have to be successful. And we just sat there for a second and I was like, dude, that sounds miserable. And he was like, it is. It's hard to carry this weight. And so we asked him, we were like, what happens if you trip? And I don't think he was ready for that question because he didn't know how to respond. But then he goes, I can't trip. I can't even think about tripping. And this is what's sad. One day he's gonna trip. And when he does, his whole world is crashing down on him. How many of you have felt this way? How many of you feel this way right now? And in how many areas are you feeling that weight? I think a lot of us are just doing the same thing. We're feeling this weight. And if you're honest, I think you know exactly the weight that you're feeling in this moment. But our default sin brings us back to the garden where we wanna be autonomous where we wanna lead our own lives apart from God. And because of that, we feel the weight of God. But God wants to carry that weight for you. Where do you feel that weight right now? Are you feeling it in your marriage? Are you feeling it in your parenting? Are you feeling it in your singleness? Are you feeling it in your finances? Are you feeling it in your job? Are you feeling it in the shame of your sin? Where are you feeling it? Here's the good news. You can give that to Jesus. You can put that on his shoulders because that's where it belongs. Jesus bore the weight of your sin. Jesus bore the weight of your self-sufficiency. Jesus bore the weight of your shame. Jesus bore the weight of your regret. Jesus bore the weight of your selfishness. Jesus bore the weight of your self-control. 
Jesus has bore all of that so that you can receive forgiveness and freedom. He wants you, he's inviting you to bring that to him so that you can receive his forgiveness. And it's not because you deserve it, because you don't. You're the one who always wants to rebel, but he gives it because he loves you so much. And he says, you are my people. You are my people. Bring me the weight. Receive my freedom. Jesus's yoke is easy and his burden is light. Bring it to him. Amen. As we come to the table today for communion, we are reminded that Jesus gave his body and spilled his blood to bear the weight of our sins. For he is a leader with character, not just charisma, who we can trust, who invites you to live his way, not just your way. For he has taken the weight of your sin and your fear and your shame, and he has pinned it to the cross. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, that you are a God who never forsakes us. You never abandon us because we are your people. Jesus, I feel that you're just calling people to, to give their sin over, to give that weight over, to submit to your leadership, to your kingship, because you are good. You're the one we can trust. So Lord, I pray that you would just speak to your people today. I pray, Lord, that we would feel the relief of your grace and of your freedom and of your forgiveness. Jesus, we desperately need you. Show us how to live our life in accordance to your will and in obedience to you. Show us where in our life, Lord, that we could submit more to your kingship and your leadership. Jesus, we desperately need you. We desire you. We love you. And we thank you for your forgiveness and your grace. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.